Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the climate revolution. My name is Johan Berno, and I'm on a mission to shake things up. It is time we get serious and address this climate crisis. In each episode, I'll provide a platform for top climate thinkers, entrepreneurs, and investors to share their insights, innovations, and contrarian views. Let's learn from visionary thought leaders and hear their ideas that can profoundly reshape society and bring us one step closer to a sustainable world. Hey guys, in today's show, I'm receiving Emmanuel Heisenberg, the co-founder of EcoWorks, a construction company that transforms houses to net zero. Let's go. Emmanuel, welcome to Climate Insiders. Thank you for inviting me. So how would you describe EcoWorks for people that have never heard of you? We renovate multi-story houses, like worst performing buildings from the outside with a new second skin to make them in a couple of weeks of construction net zero. How would your best friend describe Emmanuel Heisenberg in one word? <laughs> That's a really tough one. In one word, hopefully uh, entrepreneurial. <laughs> okay, entrepreneurial, hopefully on the good um, side of things. All right, so to set the stage, Could you describe the, the current state of the construction industry and particularly with regard to carbon footprint? We know obviously that there's a huge polluting space. Where is the problem? Where does it lie and where can we actually address it? Would you say it's at the source, at the creation of cement and materials or at the end, which is the installation of buildings and their actual construction? Of course, I, I have a special focus on, on renovation, but in, in, in general, We in, in construction and uh, in the built environment produce more than 50% of the waste. We use only 1% of the material and um, the entire industry has not at all looked at the life cycle of their product, not looked at technologies to decarbonize. So at the core of the biggest asset class in the world, buildings and especially residential buildings, there is an industry which is really resistant against transformation. And so how do we crack this? And how uh, have you learned to involve corporates and some of the big guys that clearly have no incentive to transform the industry from moving forward with greener processes? So when I started EcoWorks and even before I started EcoWorks, I talked with a lot of customers. So um, I actually advised the German government and thought about how to decarbonize uh, heat and decarbonize buildings. And uh, I wrote a white paper after uh, discussing it with 2030 customers and 2030 construction executives. And at the end, there was a lot of interest and willingness to, to transform on the customer side. And there was no interest at all on the on the builder and on the construction tech side. So kind of I saw that there has to be a lot of change in the entire value chain of the construction industry, but also a lot of change in for policymakers to regulate. So what I kind of started was a new pyramid of supplying renovation. So I started uh, with a solution of going not only to a bit of decarbonization, but bringing houses immediately to, to net zero and thought about, okay, who do I need in terms of system suppliers, in terms of 
component suppliers to make this solution affordable. That was kind of my first approach. And, and of course, on the one hand, you need first pilot projects. You have to show that this solution is attractive because at the end, it's all about a good product. So my main focus as an entrepreneur is to create a great product. A bit like, I, I, I hate this comparison, uh, uh, but it's a bit like Tesla's at the core. It was really a, an attractive um, offer to the customer. And then in the second step, of course, you have to bring down costs, you have to streamline the supply chain, and you need a lot of partners to do it. But um, the, the core is not kind of a net zero product because most of the customers um, not very much care about net zero, okay. but it's, it's an attractive product. And so let's talk about this product. Would you say that you're much more of a process-based business? So you're business innovation or you're technological innovation? Because at the end of the day, you, you just uh, design and install facades and roof elements, but it doesn't sound groundbreaking. Would you say that what has enabled you to scale and to, to grow rapidly is just because you're really well integrated in processes? So the, um, I think the innovation or the disruption comes from we want to install like affordable, attractive renovation packages that brings customers immediately to net zero at an attractive price. And the entire process is totally different to a normal construction or conventional renovation process. So what we do is that we go to the houses, we scan the houses from the inside and the outside with laser scanning devices. We have uh, planning libraries for special housing types, and we just then have to adjust these um, libraries to the measurements of the individual house. And then we have already automated most parts of, of the planning process. And we also don't go to customers as we normally do. For example, in Germany, you have a lot of touch points with the customers, but we just offer him like a, a solution which is net zero. And actually, we, we try to avoid any touch points in the planning process um, at all with the customer. And then uh, we um, send our digital data to the um, factories. They produce facades where already the entire technology for the house is integrated. So the technology moves from the inside of the house to the external new facade. For example, windows, ventilation, electrical lines, piping, everything is included in the facade after the renovation. And also everything can actually um, be substituted and maintained from the outside. This is also an extremely attractive uh, feature. And also we don't have to enter the apartments of the tenants anymore. It's, it's just only one or two days where we work within the apartments. And then uh, the factory actually delivers these facade and roof elements to the construction site. And we just have to install these facade and roof elements within a couple of weeks of, of installation. I mean, it sounds not so disruptive, but for, the, for a very uninnovative industry, it's, it's hugely uh, disruptive. Now, just to get this completely straight, you, would you consider yourself a contractor that handles end-to-end -end projects or you supply... Yeah. To, so you are taking care of the full project. Yeah, we're we're developing, planning, and delivering these projects as as general contractors. Yes. I see. Now I want to play devil's advocate a little bit and and um, and push back on the net zero. How can this be net zero? 
that would mean that there is actually no emission whatsoever in the entire process, including the production of facades. So we have negative emissions uh, on the operation. So these houses produce more end energy than the tenants use for uh, heating warm water and electricity. So they're kind of energy plus houses after the renovation. And the negative emissions are so high that the gray emissions, which we actually emit for producing these facades, these roofs, these PV installation, for example, the photovoltaic installation actually has a lot of gray emissions because it's very energy intensive to produce photovoltaic. Could you qualify gray energy? Gray energy is the energy and the emissions which are necessary to produce the uh, materials we use and to transport the materials to the construction site that we need to do the renovation. That's the embedded emissions um, for, for our product. So as we have negative emissions in operation, we have a amortization of the embedded emissions in our second skin, which we built around the uh, building of only two years. So after two years, the entire project has already negative emissions. And as this project runs for 50, 70 years, it creates huge negative emissions over the life cycle. Okay, so you consider the, the energy production of the photovoltaic panels that you install on the roofs and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. That's how you do an um, emission life cycle assessment. And we, we did this with a leading NGO um, okay. uh, to to also account um, the emissions. Now, can you explain the the energy sprung principle and why it's a game changer for the sustainable construction? So, I had never heard of this. Um, maybe in the construction space, it's uh, more of a mainstream. So, this this principle that I think originates from the Netherlands. Exactly. So it was developed in social housing in the Netherlands to um, actually go to net zero with these houses without too much subsidies. And the thing is, if you really look on the value of, of, of the houses uh, over the life cycle, it really makes sense not to go in several steps to climate neutrality or to even net zero uh, in the next 20 years. So the EU target is like get to climate neutral housing uh, until 2045. So the idea is to immediately get to net zero and use really high quality, long duration materials that these new renovations can last for 50 or 70 years. And this makes much more sense. So the sprung, if you see these energy efficiency classes, it's not to go from, from worst performing to C or B, mm -hmm. just go immediately to A plus. And this, this really makes sense. And how does that happen? Is it because it's prefabricated And how can you go straight to A plus? So um, if you do like a manual renovation with EPS-based um, insulation, so EPS is, is kind of this oil-based insulation, which is manually uh, pinned to the wall, you normally have a lot of thermal bridges. So the building is not airtight. The building still loses a lot of energy and you don't save like up to 85-90% of primary energy consumption uh, as in our solution. So this is a much higher quality 
of the entire design of, of the new uh, building. So this is much better than, than any manual work. And that's kind of also the, the sprung. I see. And could you now, if we were to span the entire set of innovation in the construction space to greenify the entire industry. Do you think industrial prefabrication and modular construction would contribute to a huge shift to sustainability? And how much of market share are we talking about today? So if you look at the the German housing stock, it's like 42 million units. And mm -hmm. uh, in, in Europe, it's a bit over 300 million units. And out of that, less than 1% is, is really climate neutral or even net zero. So Only a very tiny fraction of the new builds are net zero and almost none of the renovation projects go to net zero. So we really have to create a new industry in order to kind of industrialize renovation to bring the housing stock to net zero until 2045. It's at the moment how we act at the moment with a renovation rate of less than 1%. It would take more than 100 years to do it. Mm. And the deep renovation rate is even smaller. So it's really time to kind of think about what is not kind of the intermediate uh, solution. So the bridge solution. So what is the end solution? What is our target solution? And how can we immediately get to that solution and bring down costs, the hardware costs, not only like 10 or 20%, but like 80% down, like in, in batteries, solar, wind, we have this cost regression curve. So if you double the volume, you bring the cost down by 20 to 30%. And if we want to enter the same path of cost regression, we have to standardize the solution. We have to have like political leaders who define the, the end target of this um, political uh, and climate campaign and then industrialize a European uh, renovation industry. Is this currently happening, in particular in <laughs> Germany? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, this is not happening at all. Um, so we more see a, a pushback. So the EU just defined the minimum energy performance standards, and they decided to phase out of worst performing buildings until 2030. So at the moment, there is a huge pushback by a lot of uh, like the conservative wing in the Euro European Parliament, uh, but also by, by populists. Uh, and this is the same in, in Germany. So a lot of pushback is organized by think tanks, by, by, by climate deniers. And we really need that policy that we, it's, it's, it's really kind of a low-hanging fruit to phase out the worst 50% Uh, buildings, and if we even don't go after that target, we can can sign the uh, capitulation and, and, and just we we yeah. will never never reach that goal. So it's one thing to to get the tailwind of regulation, and it will definitely boost this whole space. It's another to penetrate through pure business model, right? So creating an attractive business model for the customer, and in in which case, I would love to understand who you the your actual customer is in, in Germany and how you see that evolving over time. I do know, for example, in Berlin, a lot of the real estate is owned by a handful of conglomerates. They're just enormous uh, organizations that just uh, have owned for decades the, the most of uh, the, the, the building uh, park. 
uh, I was wondering whether you you target those big guys or you go straight to residential to for cookie cutter kind of type of renovation projects. Uh, and how is this going to evolve over time as you want to scale maybe outside of Germany? So the, the German renovation market is, is roughly 150 billion. So it's, it's big. So um, uh-huh. we're more than happy if we can gain 1% market share uh, until 2027. So this is uh, the, the overall target to, to scale above a 1 billion euro revenue. And our target customers are um, housing companies between five and 50,000 units. So mid-sized to large-sized uh, housing companies that have like suitable stock. So we analyze the stock uh, with Google Street View and, and other building data um, and AI to kind of understand which customer has the right stock and how uh, we can immediately uh, identify the, the, the suitable projects for us. And then uh, we also have a way to immediately um, go into a configuration. So we have um, like a car configuration. You can choose out of uh, 300 standard uh, components and the customer can click with us the solution and they already have from from Google Street View the exact measurements and and we can immediately go to a price tag of, of the entire project on the first meeting. So this is kind of super attractive to mm. them. They don't need like a, a three-month feasibility study. They immediately get a price and a emission reduction scenario. Wow. And so you're not looking to expand beyond Germany in the foreseeable future. And if so, which other market would be the most attractive? So... At the moment, uh, we, we have to get to the, the company to a critical mass. So mm-hmm. um, a quarter of a billion euros in revenue is important to bring down costs and, and also make the solution really attractive. You need a certain size in your team and your operations to, and also in the supply chain to, to make really an attractive product. But other markets are, of course, the, the Dach region are uh, France. Scandinavia, and also the U.S. has a huge subsidy levels and also, of course, like a super interesting prefab industry that could um, also produce our um, solution. I want to better understand the, the production in here. Do you own production of those materials or do you externalize all of us and, and focus on the installation, being the operator on site? We focus on developing the project, planning the project. We have outsourced uh, the production and we will not insource the production. We thought about automated factories with robots and and made made a huge study on that. But the benefit of bringing down the production costs um, with automation is not as high as bringing down the cost um, with a supply chain, with master purchase agreements of the components. So it really makes sense to not um, actually insource too much blue-color work and, and factory work. So already orchestrating this immensely complex process is a huge task as an entrepreneur, and, and it's, still, it's still very bumpy in a lot of mm-hmm. projects where you face a lot of also human error, not only on our team, but also customers, tenants. It's super complex. So... Um, that's also a big part of the defensibility. So it's a lot of experience, which you only can gain 
in concrete construction projects. It's a lot of prototyping and trying out solution, uh, parts of the solution, and then changing the strategy. So uh, this is, it's a really tough journey for, for, for me as an entrepreneur. Does that mean that you rely on a handful of production partners or are they located in Germany or, or do they originate from Asia? For example, it's bio-based materials, so it's it's uh -huh. uh, timber frame elements with a cellulose uh, insulation. They are produced in Germany, high quality work. Automation level is um, medium, so uh -huh. they do use some uh, robots to, for example, cut the wood or to turn the elements in the production process. But it's not like a automotive factory, so. There's a long way to go, but also a huge um, cost reduction potential still in the process in the factories. Now, I'm curious to get your thoughts on 3D printing. And, you know, you remember back in the 2010s, it was all the rage. It was considered to be the game changer in the construction space because we would, could literally 3D print a house. Uh, where are we in this 3D printing universe? So for some components it could make sense uh, for some uh, very elaborate architectural uh, designs it can make sense because if you are kind of in the new build area and if you go to high quality architecture uh, you always have super individual touches mm. in our case it's more that you kind of have to have like high quality design but still um, you go to, to scale and, and 3D printing is, is super energy and emission intensive. And it's more like for, for individual um, projects. So probably not the, the, the big chain, um, game changer for, for our solution. Yeah. And so now I'm trying to, to put myself in the shoes of a project manager, right? So you get access, you use Google Street, you get access, you sell your projects, pipeline and then how do you train this army of installers because there's a shortage of of, uh, of, of workforce right now in germany in most uh, western nations uh, you mentioned the blue colors uh, they still need to be there right for projects will you have to train an army of um, of modular or construction workers how do you solve that part of the bottleneck so other than for example uh npal or Uh, you know, these solar installation companies, 1,5 degree, you know, 1.5 degree. There are a couple of super successful German climate tech uh, startups of mm -hmm. my, my colleagues um, installing heat pumps or PV. This is a super simple um, process where um, you really have to rely on, on own uh, labor to accelerate the process and make it doable in one day. In our case, of course, Labor is also a big cost factor. And uh, we started to insource um, the most cost-heavy um, processes like the core installation of the facade, or we start now to insource um, the installation of the electrical lines and the heating pipe installation. So this stuff makes sense to go to probably 30 to 50% in-house capacities, but the rest You know, for drilling a hole somewhere in Germany, you know, it does not make sense to 
have can own people all around Germany doing these these tasks. So it's more that you you need like a good sourcing department and you need like a network of of partners um, which are quick and, and inexpensive. But this will not be in source in the next two, three, four years. I see. And so now that you're looking, you're at an inflection point. Congratulations on your successful capital raises. I believe you've raised more than 45 million euros or, uh, to date. Do you think it's a winner takes all where you will become a magnet? Too big to fail. More venture capital money will pile in to ensure your dominance or the market is not set yet. There might be a, a, a sort of regional player in each European country, and this will force you to innovate as well. Where, where do we stand in terms of competitive landscape? So competitors are not so frightening at the moment. It's more to prove the business model. And we have to prove the business model on three areas. The one is, and of course, they're uh, interweaved, but the first is that we can come uh, into exceptional gross margins, which are untypical for the construction area. So, so if we get to 30 to 35% gross margin, mm. I think this would be an exceptionally interesting construction tech investment. The second is about productization and scaling. So if we can prove that we bring like a complex uh, individual project business into a product like uh, um, scalable business. I think this is also super attractive because the market is unlimited. We could also say like, let's go for 1% of the European renovation market and scale to 7 billion in revenues. You know, like in that sense, this is different than other startups because you work on the biggest uh, asset class in the world. And if you get like a substantial Uh, market share and, and decarbonizing and renovating this this uh, biggest asset class, the, the market is immense. And the third is how can we bring down on-site complexity and, and execution complexity of the entire business case? So it's about automating the entire sales process, automating the entire planning process, bringing down complexity on the construction side. So this is the stuff where when I would be like a VC looking on my case or a PE, because we are at the mm -hmm. stage where we really talk to the big uh, growth funds for the next round, I think it's, it's probably post uh, normal VC game. So it, it's more like a, a growth fund PE game. And for them, I think the downside protection is there because nobody will doubt that we, you know, in the next 24 months, if we go to break even, It's a solid company, so you will never lose everything. But the question is, can you bring that to a multi-billion uh, valuation? And this is really only possible if we bring this kind of tech approach and process and product approach really to construction to form like an exceptional niche product, which is in a niche that is so large that kind of It, it really crackers uh, um, the uh, construction market. So this is kind of the, the next uh, stage to prove, okay, we can go to a substantial scale. We can bring down costs to, to, to gross margins exceeding 20 to 30%. And then I think, yeah, it could be like one of the most interesting targets in the global Wait, did I get that right? So I completely agree with you. I think you've reached a point where private equity money or infrastructure funds 
given your juicy margins of 30%, they definitely want to play in that in that space. Did I hear you're right that you look from the outside as someone who's cracked a way to enter the processes and then do it on repeat. You know, you can play a, a role as an accelerator for that space to renovate, but they might not perceive you as a technology company. And it's important for you to double click on this so that there is higher multiple to your market cap by pre- being perceived as a technological innovation. And in which case, you really need to craft a narrative and make sure that it's perceived as such. So I, I really have to be honest here. So in the tech space, we are always seen as a construction company. And in the construction world, we are always seen as a tech company. So it's really about using like tech-enabled Uh, um, approach to construction. So we have to be as good as a construction company in evaluating buildings, in managing construction sites. But we also have to be almost as good as a tech company in bringing in software and bringing in process automation to just um, substitute a lot of really complicated processes for construction companies to get from kind of looking at a building to a finished building. So this is kind of a, this, this huge disruption or kind of this huge entrepreneurial challenge to get in like the best people from, from construction, but also get good tech people in and really creating that impact. This, this is kind of the, the, the challenge for me. And what is the crisp vision that you tell your investors, your co-founders, your employees to get them thrilled about the next 5, 10, 20 years? Do you have that level of clarity and that you could share with us? So imagine like there in, in Germany and, and all around Europe, there, there are like really rundown quarters of thousands of apartments in one, for example, social housing quarter. And imagine we do automated planning. We come to the construction site. And within a couple of weeks, like three, four weeks, there are like super attractive net zero houses where we lifted the value of these houses by 30, 40%, uh, where the tenants really enjoyed the renovation process, uh, where they live in much nicer, lighter houses with new balconies, with new windows, with a great heating system. They, they have a really nice uh, touch of this technology. And I think this is a, not only like an economic uh, vision, but also a social vision. So it's, it's really the ESG. So it's, it's, it really combines a lot of problems and we can solve not only like uh, um, creating value for investors, but creating value for the entire society. Well, thank you so much, Emmanuel. Time was flying. I appreciate you coming on Climate Insiders. Thanks a lot for having me here. And to all of you, as always, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter. Along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund, or startup. My newsletter is value-packed, authentic, and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier, and it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impacts.